Acts 2, 36 through 47. I've titled the message today, What Kind of People Are We Going to Be? What Kind of People Are We Going to Be? Beginning in verse 36. Now, this is the passage of Scripture right after the day of, well, it's actually on the day of Pentecost, but right after the, the, the church, the, those, those few people that were in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit. The new covenant had come in, and now God was no longer going to dwell in a building made with hands, but He was going to dwell in the hearts of men through the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened. And as a result of that, Peter, who not long before had denied Christ, was the one whom God chose to deliver this message on the day of Pentecost. And he was preaching this message to all these people that were there. And in verse 36 it says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I could, if you look at the context here, what shall we do? What do we need to be? What needs to happen within us? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And what he was saying was the way for yourself to be saved is to come through Jesus Christ and let him change your heart, repent of your sins, turn from your way of living, the evidence of that is you having a public baptism as we see the beautiful picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's time for you to come out from among them, is what Peter was saying to them. And then it says, and those who accepted his message, so they received the message, they were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, in, in ancient times, they only counted the men. The men. So most probably what happened, and many theologians believe this, and there's, uh, there's secular historical evidence to prove this and, and, and that record this, but probably that day you probably had all the wives and their children. So it's very possible that about 9, 10, 12,000 people got saved and received Christ. The 3,000 were the recorded men who were baptized and saved that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Remember, all these people had come from all the areas and they were all together in Jerusalem. The new church was established and so people were away from home. And until God gave them further instructions, they were staying longer than they had planned to stay. And so people needed food, people needed things. And so what they did was, this wasn't a permanent living situation, but this was temporary. And so they were unselfish and they sold some of what they had to allow their new brothers and sisters in Christ to, to have sustenance and to have what they needed. 
And then it says here, when it says they sold property, that means they sold some of their animals and some of the things that they brought with them. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now with that as our foundation, what kind of people are we going to be? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would add your blessing to your word today. Help me to deliver what you've laid upon my heart. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Who are we going to be? I shared this with our Sunday school class this morning, and I'm going to share it again with you, or I'm going to share it with you, for the, with the rest of you. But recently I've become very um, disheartened by some things in our society uh, it doesn't take long, right? Just turn the news on and you'll find out, right? You just look at the opioid addiction that's going on all around America and the rural areas are hit as hard uh, or if not harder per capita than even the inner cities. You look at the racial division going on, the sectarian division, all these divisions that are happening. You look at the political uh, stuff that's going on and the hatred that people have for one another. You look at the total chaos and lack of respect for authority in our society, lack of respect for, for law enforcement, lack of respect for teachers, lack of respect for coaches, lack of respect for the institutions that once were there, lack of respect for our country, for our military. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. You look at among Christians now, you are, are so-called Christians. You have people that think it's okay to live a certain way. You have people who, who live a certain lifestyle sexually and think that it's okay when the Word of God says it's not. And we got all kinds of crazy things going on. And then you see people, good people, who are trying to make a difference, being fired and let go and all of this stuff. And I'll tell you, I had a belly full of it there for a while recently. But on the way back from the trip, myself and Coach Vester stopped at a particular high school. And without going into a lot of detail, looking at a potential job for coach. And what I saw there was something that I had not seen in a long time. I saw a small rural school, a county school, that had it together. Tops in the state in technology for their children. Every child, they have a one-to-one ratio for technology, meaning every child has at their disposal, has in their hand some kind of, of, uh, of um, iPad or, or, or the equivalent thereof to do the work, to do all of the things that they need to do. They're getting an education at the highest level. Not just that, but the, the, um, the athletic department, just tremendous. Um, unbelievable organization, unbelievable passion. I asked the head coach, I said, what do you do with some of these complaining parents that come to you and always whine? And he goes, well, it don't happen often. And he says, when it does, it doesn't end well for them. And I said, oh. And he said, I had a man whose son had done something wrong on our football team, and I was running him. 
I was making him do whatever he had to do, run. And in the middle of a practice, that man walked onto my practice field while I'm practicing. And I told our team to stop, hold it, and watch. And I went to that man and I said, sir, with all due respect, if you ever walk on my practice field again without my permission, your son will never play a down for me ever again. And you know what that man did? That man turned around and walked off that practice field because there is respect for people's jobs and what they're doing. And just that little encounter, that two or three hour encounter that we had right there, God used those Christian coaches to help me see something going forward about not just my life, but about our church and our community. And just because other places are giving up, and other places are being cynical, and other places are are, are just throwing up their hands and saying, well, it's just going to be like this, and it'll never change, and we might as well just, just quit and give up and go hide. Other people are not doing that, and they're facing the challenges, and they're facing the culture, and they're facing the situations, and they're saying, this is how God wants us to do it, and this is how we can do it. And so it puts something in my heart and says, what kind of people do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be in this current society? Do we want to be a Christ-loving church that obeys Christ, or do we want to give in to the whims of the society and, 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 and all of that? Who do we want to be? What kind of people are we going to be going forward? This passage of Scripture gives us an example it's an ancient passage, but it's what the church did at its birth, and it shouldn't change in what we should be doing today. So who are we going to be? What kind of people are we going to be? Number one, here's what I want you to see. The first thing, first and foremost, is they were a saved people. They weren't just a collection of people that joined the church. They were a saved people. They were people who had come from Judaism and they were turning to the Messiah to receive Christ. They are what we call Messianic Christians. They were Jews who became Christians. And and they received Christ as their Lord and Savior right here, right there. They were cut to the heart at the things that Peter had preached. And it did something to them. You see, becoming a Christian is not just a set of... um, of of assenting to a bunch of mental facts that you hear about Christianity and all of that and saying, okay, one, two, three, I'll put that in order, that in order, and yes, I think it's a good idea for me to make a commitment to Christ, and so therefore I'm going to make a decision. That's not what Christianity is all about, and that's not what being saved is all about. Being saved cuts to your very heart, and it changes who you are. And that's what happened to these people. They were a saved people. And they gladly were baptized. Gladly. And they followed in a lot of other things. So first of all, they were saved people. You say, why are you making that point? Aren't we all saved here? Listen, there are a lot of people who go to church that aren't saved. They're religious, but they're not saved. And if you're not saved, you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You don't know what it means to have God's full love in you. You don't know what it means to have the power and conviction to say yes to God and no to these other things and to have the power to stand up against all odds and obey God. They were a saved people. But secondly, listen, they were a family. They were a family. 
a family. If you look at what it says, it says here in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In verse 45, uh, uh, verse 44, it says, all the believers are together and had things, everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were a family. They were together. It meant something to them. See, church is not a place you go to. It's a family that you're a part of. And we have to be a part of a family. Just like an infant, just like a baby born. We have uh, uh, someone visiting today. they got a brand new little baby. And it's just, oh man, it's just so awesome to see. And, and isn't it awesome, you know, isn't it awesome to smell a baby? I love smelling a baby. Sometimes, yes, we have, to, we have to clarify that. Let's just, after they're all cleaned up and washed, and they smell so nice, don't they? little oil in their hair and just my God. And everybody wants a piece of that baby. You bring that baby home to the family. Everybody wants to hold that baby at first. They're, you know, they, they talk about how sometimes newborn infants can become sore because of being handled so much. And, and, but, but look, I would rather them be a little sore because they're getting so much love than to not be sore and not get any love at all. And that family comes, that, that baby comes into a family and is loved and cared for. And I've told you the story many, many times. You know, our worship leader here is my daughter. And, um, if, you know, we had a life long before she showed up in 1998. And she was the last one. She was the caboose. And uh, I don't know what possessed me to do this, but when I carried her in the house, walked through the garage, walked inside, got into the living room, I just, I just, it's almost like it was, I don't know, it wasn't rehearsed, it was just, I just put her in my arms like that, I was looking and I went, okay little, well it might have been like this or something like that, but I was like, okay little girl, just so you know, these are your new surroundings here, this is your home, these are your family members, we were here before you, and I know your needs are important, but so are ours, we have a little routine. And you need to sleep all night long. You understand that? <laughs> and of course, Bucket Mouth, as we used to call her, um, didn't sleep all night long. <laughs> but she became part of our family. And we loved her. And then when she got old enough, she would wake up every morning. And this is what she would say. And I guess it's because of that conversation I had with her when I brought her into the house. She would say this, Daddy... Where's mama? Where's mama? And I was like, I'll give you a nickel if you say, where's daddy? <laughs> to this day, she won't say, where's daddy? Where's mama? So one time I played a trick on her. One time she came in and, daddy, where's mama? I said, baby, I, I got some rough news to tell you. I said, uh, mama went on a trip. She went to New York City. She's not coming back for a month. Oh, Daddy, where's Mama? She's in New York City. I'm just telling you, she ain't coming back for a month. I said, she's going to work. She's going to do something. She'll be back, but now you've got to deal with Daddy. So say, where's Daddy? <laughs> and then Mama comes out of the room, and boy, she was really mad at me then. <laughs> We're a family as a church. 
But look at what it means to be a family. Here's what happens when we're a family, as a church family. It says here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So first of all, they were a family, they were devoted to God's Word. They were devoted to God's Word. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, they didn't have the written Word of God. They had the Pentateuch. They had the five books of the Bible, first books of the Old Testament. They had the law. And they had some other things. They didn't have the New Testament yet. And so the apostles' teaching is what Jesus handed down to them. And that's why you had to have several people, whenever someone got up to speak, you had to have several other prophets who would sit there and listen and make sure that that what that prophet was teaching was consistent with what Jesus had already handed down. And that was the Word of God that they had at the time. And they devoted themselves to that kind of teaching. And so it's important as a church family that we come together around God's Word. It's important that we have Bible study together. It's important that when we get together, we open up the Word of God because it's our food. It's our nutrition. It's what gets us through life. It's how we become saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's our foundation. So as a family, they devoted themselves to the Word of God. Secondly, they devoted themselves to being together. To being together. It says here, they devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship. To breaking of bread. Being together. Not just showing up at church and worshiping together, but to being together from time to time. Serving together. Eating together. Worshiping together. Studying God's Word together. They were together. It's important to be part of a family. You and I need a family. I need a family. And then see, they were devoted to praying together. Praying together, breaking bread, and to prayer. Praying together. You know why it's important to pray together? Because when we don't have the answers, we know the one who does. This morning in Sunday school, we had one of our members who opened up his heart and shared a prayer need about a loved one. And you know what we did at the end of that Sunday school class? We brought him in the middle. We all got together around him. We held hands. Some laid hands on him. And we prayed together for that need. And we put it in the hands of God. We're a family. I want to read something to you. I was saving it for later in the sermon, but it keeps coming to my mind right now, and I I just can't get away from it. So um, this was shared with us in our Sunday school class today, but I didn't watch any football yesterday. I slept just about all day after a 24-hour trip, and I just, I just didn't watch any football, believe that or not. Um, but there's a story that's, that's been going on for over a year now, and if, even if you don't like football, you need to pay attention to this story because it's so true. This writer writes this, or someone in Facebook put this, and he said it like this. He goes, I'm in no way, or she, it might have been a she, I don't know who wrote it, but I'm in no way an Alabama fan. Having said that, kids, I would say adults and all of us, take note to what just happened when, with Jalen Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts was the quarterback for Alabama for two years, won all those games, got him in the two national championship games. And lost his starting job in the middle of the national championship game last year when the backup came in and won the game. Lost his starting job, stayed at the University of Alabama, was a backup all year in the SEC championship game, 
the starting quarterback, Tua, gets hurt. He goes in the game, and he wins the game. So that's kind of the context here. He says the guy wins 26 games in two years. He leads his team to the playoffs both years, gets benched in the national championship game, has his starting job taken away from him by a better player. Nowadays, that's when 99% of players either quit or transfer. And I would add, that's when 99% of, of adults quit their job, leave that situation, quit on their wife or their husband when things get hard, when things get tough, when things aren't going their way. That's when they quit. He says, nowadays, that's when 99% of players quit or transfer. Not this guy. He sits the bench the whole year, works his tail off to become a better player, and has to come in and lead his team to a, to a come-from-behind win to win the SEC championship. I'm sorry, Robert, but it's a good story. Robert's a Georgia fan. So this is what sports should be about. Parents, let your kids fail so they can learn how to deal with it and become better because of that failure. Sports can teach you a lot about life if you let it. Jalen, thank you for setting an example of what being a great teammate looks like. When asked what made him stay at Alabama and not transfer, listen, this comes out of his own mouth. A 20-year-old young man. I don't call him a kid because he's not a kid. He's a 20-year-old young man or or 21-year-old. Jalen responded with, I put it in God's hands and he handled it for me. Wow. And the beautiful picture is a year ago in the national championship game, you have Jalen Hurts hugging the guy who took his job, who won the game, and together they were a team. And then the roles are reversed this, this year and you have Tua hugging Jalen and showing what family's all about, that they're brothers and they have stated this year in and year out. I've followed this story all year long because I don't like Alabama, but I love these two young men. And I love that they're Christians and they're being an example to so many people on how to deal with tough circumstances and how to put it in God's hands and how to be men of God, young men of God, and not quit and not turn on their coaches and not turn on family members and not turn on fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, but rather support them because they said this, they've said it all year long, we are brothers in Christ and we are family and how can I abandon my brother in Christ? I mean, that's powerful, y'all. That's real-life stuff. That's two young men, two alpha males wanting to be the best, and yet there's only one, one position for two people. And they did that because that's what a family does. A family fights through the adversity together. A family is in the Word of God together. A family is breaking bread together. A family is putting it in the hands of God together when they can't fix it or make sense out of it. And all that was done so that God could get the glory out of all of this in that circumstance. From two 20-year-old young men who point to God and give God the glory. Hmm. So they were a family and they were devoted to these things. So who are we going to be? We're going to be a family? We're going to be a group of saved people. Let me give you these, and I'll give them to you quicker. Number three, they were an awe-inspired people. Are we going to be awe-inspired people? They were awe-inspired people. Look at what it says here. Um, It says here in verse 43, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
Did God just do miracles back then and He doesn't do them today? No, He does them today. He changes people's hearts today. I come to church on Sundays and I expect to see God do something in somebody's life. And even if I can't see it with my own eyes or experience it, I know that the Word of God will never return empty or void, and it will accomplish what it was set out to do. And it is working in people's hearts and lives. And even, even though someone didn't, there was not evidence of that in someone making some public decision or some great life change that we actually saw here at that moment, the Word of God is going home with them, and God is doing some things in their heart and in their life, and the Holy Spirit is alive and well. And that is awe-inspiring to me. We should never lose our awe at the wonder of who God is and how He can change a man's heart. He can change a woman's heart. He can change a drug addict's life. He can change a drunk's life. He can change someone who wants to walk out on their marriage and they can fall in love all over again with their spouse. He can change a teenager's heart who has gone away from God and gone away from the teachings of his parents and come back to God. You see, we serve an awe-inspiring God, and they were an awe-inspired people who looked to see what God can do. And if we can only accomplish what we can see and what we can do, then we're not an awe-inspired people. We have to trust God and watch God do some amazing things. When the finances are down, we've got to trust Him to provide. When, when we need a miracle, we've got to trust Him to provide. When we need God to do something in somebody's life and we're up against a wall, we have to trust God to have our back. Awe-inspired people. That's what they were. I don't want to get way too ahead of myself on this, but you know we're doing more baptisms like this, not necessarily in the church house. We did a baptism on Thanksgiving Day. Now, the young man wanted to be baptized here, but his parents live in Georgia. They were going to be here last Sunday, but I wasn't going to be here last Sunday. So we came up with this concept. We said either you can be baptized on Thanksgiving Day. We'll come to the church. I'll set the Baptist rep and we'll baptize you while your parents are here. Or we can find a pool or a or a trough or something, we'll baptize you at your house. And that's what was chosen, to be baptized at his house in front of his parents, in front of his grandmother who had been praying for him, who goes to Swanee Baptist Church. In front of his mother and father who live in Georgia who love their son. In front of other family members, as a matter of fact, we got, we got a trough, believe this or not, it's a trough that comes from Horseshoe Beach from country people the inside of it was painted blue because it's their hot tub it's just a trough an old aluminum trough they painted it blue and i said man why is that thing painted blue because that's our hot tub (laughs) i'm like that's awesome i said you don't have to put chlorine in it just pull the plug let it go out fill it up when you're ready and you're like yeah we're trying to figure out a way to put a heater in there i said just don't electrocute yourself I said, we don't need no heater today. And Kenny Hawk, the young man sitting right there, right next to Marcy, Kenny declared his allegiance to Christ and the life change in his life on Thanksgiving Day, the greatest Thanksgiving Day I've ever experienced in my life. And he was baptized, raised to live a new life. That is awe-inspiring to me. That's the God we serve. An amazing God. Number four, who are we going to be? They were a giving people. 
They were a giving people. It says they sold their property possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were a giving people. They gave. Isn't it awesome to be able to give? Let me tell you an idea that I got. It came to me yesterday. I was just thinking about it. And it's something I want to do. We used to do Thanksgiving baskets. I, to be honest with you, I don't know why we, we haven't done it anymore. could be my fault. Maybe I haven't uh, been on top of that or what have you. It doesn't matter. But we did some Christmas baskets in the past before. And here's something I want to do. And I'll have specific details for you next week. But here's the general idea. So Christmas Eve is on a Monday night this year. Christmas Eve. We have our Christmas Eve service. Instead of at 7, we're going to have it at 6 p.m. Christmas Eve, Monday night. We're going to have our worship service here. When it's over, and we're hoping that everybody can participate. If you can't, we understand. You go do what you have to do. But we're going we're gonna to ask you to come. We're going to go to the fellowship hall. We're going to have a little bit of hot chocolate. We're going to organize real quick. We'll be pretty much organized before, but then we're going to organize you into groups. We're hoping to go give 10 to 20 food Christmas baskets to needy families in our immediate area. Unannounced that night. You say, how do you know they're going to be there? Most of them will be home on Christmas Eve. And we're going to knock on their door, a group of us. We're going to send different groups to different places. And we're going to give them... A Christmas basket with enough food to feed their family on Christmas Day with a ham and all the other fixings. Now, we're still in the process of trying to come up with what it's going to cost. Okay? Thinking about 50 bucks a basket. It'll have everything that they need. We're going to walk in their house. We're going to present it to them. We're going to tell them we love them in Jesus' name. We're going to have prayer with them and even if we don't have anybody that knows music, we're going to sing a Christmas carol with them. And then we're going to leave. That's what we're going to do on Christmas Eve. We're not just going to come and worship, but we're going to go give. Okay? Now, we're working on how to identify those families, okay? And we've got some ways about going to do that however if you know of a family and we want to reach outside of our church family we have one or two within our church family that we probably are going to going to include them in that but for the most part most of us are okay when it comes to that but somebody that you have a relationship with somebody that you know somebody that lives in your neighborhood somebody that goes to school with your kids, somebody that lives in our area that we can help, I want you to submit the name to us with an address and everything. Okay? And we're going to filter through all of that and find out where the needs are, and we're going to see who we can help. And we're going to challenge Sunday school classes. So how are we going to pay for the baskets? I'm going to ask you and me, would you and your family sponsor a basket? Would you give $50 to a to our church so we can buy a basket with it would your sunday school class do that they were a giving people they sold their possessions they weren't selfish they gave away their stuff they provided for what other people needed and we should be that kind of giving church and we have been over the years 
And I apologize for the last year or two maybe not leading you properly in us doing more of this. But we're going to start again. And God just put on my heart this week while I was gone. I had some time to think about some things. And we're going to do that on Christmas Eve because I don't want to just come and worship and it just be about us. I want it to be about others too. And there are a lot of people who aren't going to come to church that, that night. But we're going to take church to them. You with me? How many of you want to, want to do that? Huh? You think it's a great idea? Yeah, I think it is because it's, it's a God idea. God, God does these kind of things. That's what these people did for each other. And they were a giving people. So we'll give you more details, more specifics on what exactly it's going to cost and how many families and all of that. And we're going to be super organized that night. And we're going to put you into groups and you're going to go and it's going to be awesome. Let me ask you this. How many of you, be honest, just be honest. How many of you have ever been in a group where you went, and you went to somebody's house to sing Christmas carols? How many of you have ever done something like that? How many of you have ever gone sing Christmas carols somebody's up? Okay, put your hands on. How many of you have never done that? You've never gone to a visitor, uh, to, a, to a complete stranger's house? I'm telling you, if you've never done something like that, it's a special moment. And I encourage you to maybe do something like that if you can, okay? All right, number five, give you this quick. They were a worshiping people. They were a worshiping people. Look at what it says here. They broke bread in their homes and were together and glad with sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were praising God. They were a worshiping people. The New Testament church, the early church, man, they, they worshiped. They believed in worship. When we come to church on Sunday, to, Sunday together, and we're here, we're not just singing words. We're worshiping our God. And then number six. Notice, they were a growing people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were a growing people. It's Look, salvation and Christianity is not just for you and me and us only, and we don't want anybody else. We have this unbelievable gift. You think about it. If you ever had the cure to cancer, Somehow you came across it. And you're the only one that had it. What would you do? I'll tell you what you would do. You'd probably first start with your family, anybody in your family that had it. Secondly, you would go to every hospital you can. You, you would call the news organizations and you say, here's the cure. You would go tell it on the mountain. Well, we got something that's far greater than the cure to cancer. It's a cure for sin. It's the cure for an eternity without Christ. It's a cure for a hopeless life. It's a cure for a meaningless life. It's called Christianity. It's called the gospel. It's called knowing Christ. That's the greatest gift that we can give anybody else. And it's a sin against the souls of those people that God's placed in our lives for us to hold what we have deep inside of us selfishly and not share it with anybody else. They were a growing people. We should be a growing people. So we have a choice. What kind of people do we want to be? We want to be like the people that I talked about, that sometimes I fall into, that are discouraged, giving up, wanting to throw in a towel, quit. 
I went on this trip this week, and in northern Missouri, if you choose to get on one of those side roads, you could go a week and not see another human. It's funny, in Missouri, they, they got this weird road system. So, number system. So you have like, okay, so your main road is Highway 136 going east and west in northern Missouri. Two-lane road, small two-lane road, but it's the main drag. And then all your roads going, your little county roads, they're not CR whatever. They're just A, B, C. But, but here's what's confusing. Every county has their own A, B, and C. It's a mess. Then when they run out of letters, we even have a road with Z. And I said, well, what happens when you get to Z? Well, they, then you got AA and BB and CC. No, just go to CC and I'm like, which one? There's 465 of them in the state of Missouri. Where, turn on what, do where, what, how, who, where. These little back roads, man. And I'm like, man, I could live like this and not see a soul. This would be great. There's one problem with that, though. I'm, I'm just the kind of personality. I'd end up getting in a fight with myself. It, it just would happen. I got in a fight with a tree the other day. I pulled the four-wheeler up. The tree hit me in four or five different places. It was three degrees. Put a whelp on my head. Man, I'm just like, it's like get away from me. There's not another human around me. And yet I was fighting with something. And then I realized, you know, you can hang around there and, be, and, and, and get away from everything. But you know what? You still, you, you'll still be empty. Because God made us to, to share what we have. God made us to want to connect with other people. We can't live in isolation. We can be isolated for a small time. Jesus even did that. Then we've got to come back to our ministry, to what God's called us to do, and we've got to do it. What kind of people are we going to be? What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of Christian do you want to be? I want to be a New Testament Christian. I want to be part of a family. I want to be a Tua and Jalen Christian. I don't want to be the one getting all the glory. I, I want my buddy to be able to, to to get some credit. As a matter of fact, I don't even want him to get credit. I want him to give glory to God for it and to give credit to God for what God's doing. I didn't save anybody. I can't save anybody. I heard a Bourbon Street preacher one time, and his his name was Leo Humphrey. And Leo said, you know, he goes, I can't save anybody. He said, I saved a drunk on Bourbon Street one day, and two weeks later he was still a drunk on Bourbon Street. He said, but when God gets a hold of them, he changes them, and he saves them. One big family. I just want you to know, church, I'm not packing it in. I'm not quitting. I've been here almost 24 years, and it's not time to kick back. It'll be time to kick back when God calls me home. It's time to reach. It's time to be the church. It's time to do what God's called us to do. We've got to keep doing it. We've got to love God and love people. And we got to keep doing it. And it's hard sometimes. And it costs money sometimes. And it requires time sometimes. All the time. (laughs) It's dirty. It's difficult. It's complicated. But it's glorious. It's worth it. 
It's awe-inspiring. It's life-changing. Give me that. I'll go with that. And it's fulfilling. And then one day, one day we'll stand before God and He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to have to give an account for what we've done with our Christianity. We won't, we're not standing at a ju- at judgment as to whether or not we're going to go to heaven or not. We're already saved. We're going to heaven. It's, it's going to be an awards banquet. It's going to be an accounting where, where we have to give an account for what we've done with this great gift called salvation. And if our works were done and they burn up, we'll have nothing to show. But some of us will have works that will be like gold and silver. And we'll, God will turn those into crowns. And we won't put them on our head as a crowning achievement of our life, but we'll take them and we'll lay them at the feet of Jesus. And you know, we'll cast those crowns down at His feet because they all belong to Him. Are you going to go into heaven empty-handed? Or are you going to have some crowns? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven the bible says where rust or decay and those things can't ruin anything that's what matters what kind of people are we going to be so church we got some challenges ahead of us we have a community to reach we have a gospel to fulfill a great commission are you going to be counted Are you going to serve? Are you going to give up some of your free time to be used of God? In just a moment, we're going to open this altar up. I know we got a wreath over here. Don't worry. If you knock the wreath down, we'll put it back up later. Okay? You can just come and pray. You let God work in your heart and do what He says. And you do what He says and follow what He says. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of church I want to continue to be. A church like what we just preached and talked about. Let's stand together, everybody. So we bow our heads. Would you think just a moment about where you are? Are you a giving person? Are you saved? Are you part of a family? Are you willing to be used of God? Are you willing to give and get off of things that belong to you and let God use it for His glory? God right now I call upon you as you have moved within us and upon us that we would respond to you our Savior our God thank you for the love of God and for the forgiveness that you give us and in spite of who we are you save us you change us you quicken us in the heart I don't know how you have worked in the hearts of men and women here today, and boys and girls and teenagers, but Father, I'm trusting that we will respond to you. God is leading you to join this church. This is the time to come. 
in just a moment. If God is leading you to make a public decision, you want to present yourself as a candidate for baptism, you want to give your heart to Christ, you need a counselor, you need somebody to talk to, this is the time. Or if you just want to pray. Father, we thank you and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.